I'm going to read from John chapter 16 and verse 16 to 24. <clears throat> Jesus went on to say, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. At this some of his disciples said to one another, What does he mean by saying, In a little while you'll see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? and because I am going to the Father. They kept asking, what does he mean in a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while you will see me no more, then after a little while you will see me? <laughs> They're quick, huh? <laughs> Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that her child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. In that day you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. <coughs> Father, we do thank you for your presence here with us. We just ask you now as we look at these words that you will take what is good and build it into our hearts. Throw out the rubbish. But Lord Jesus, we ask you, increase our faith Amen. and our knowledge of you. Amen. Amen. Don't trust my Bible not to uh, overturn your stand. I'm going to talk today on the joy of prayer. I just want to see what your faces were like. <laughs> <laughs> the joy of prayer. Because my contention today is if we rightly understand what the joy of prayer is, it will inspire us and enable us and give us perseverance to get to the joy mm. of prayer. Mm. Just a bit of background from the passage we've read. <clears throat> Jesus has been talking to his disciples and saying, I'm going away and I'm coming back and it'll only be a little while. And uh, like many of my children, they'd like to know what a little while is. <clears throat> I remember my poor children, they had no understanding of what a minute was because I was always going to do something in a minute and they assumed it was a couple of weeks. <laughs> <coughs> But Jesus is talking about his, obviously, his death and his resurrection and his ascension into heaven and uh, the time between now and when he comes again. And he is saying to them, look, in a little while, fundamentally, I'm going to die. And then in a little while, I will come back. And despite being with Jesus for three years, they had no comprehension of what that meant. They couldn't understand it. And so he's, and he said to them, look, when I go away, you will weep, you will grieve, you will mourn, but I will come back and you will know joy. 
And he uses the illustration of a woman in labour. Um, we have a friend who, at the birth of their first child, his wife was screaming quite determinedly and often, never again, never again, never again. And when she started talking about having the third child, he was like, what happened to never again? But it was because the result was worth the pain. The result was worth the pain. And Jesus says, you will grieve, but there's joy at the end of it. And that joy will remain. And that is the joy that we have in knowing that we are the children of God. Yeah. That we have been forgiven. That we can come into the presence of God, clothed in the righteousness that Jesus has given to us. As it were, clothed in the party clothes of heaven. And we can come into his presence, we can enjoy being with God. We know we have a hope and a, a life eternal in a world that is perfect that has no more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more suffering. And that joy lives within us, day in and day out. And Jesus says no one will ever take that joy away. That is the joy of our salvation. The joy partly of the anticipation of a world without wrong, injustice, etc. That joy will remain. But what is the joy of prayer? What is that joy? And as I say, my contention is if we rightly understand what that joy is, it will help us to pray more passionately, more fervently, more often, and more determinedly. <coughs> because the first thing is, prayer is hard work. Encounter evenings, are fantastic because you're encountering God you're enjoying his presence you're celebrating but prayer that's hard work this is what Hebrews 5 7 says during the days of Jesus life on earth he offered up prayers and petitions that's the easy bit with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death fervent cries and tears. Mm. Prayer is hard work. And I think sometimes we've just got to take a step back and recognise that it is. Mm. It's not easy. It's hard work. But there is a joy in it. <coughs> Look at Matthew 26, 41. Mm. Gethsemane. Praying to the Father, not my will, but your will be done. For three hours. Three hours. Blood. Drops of sweat like blood, if not blood themselves. The disciples, as Jesus said to them, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. They couldn't keep up. Three hours of prayer and supplication. We have it summed up in a sort of little sentence. Not my will, but your will be done. What pain, what agony did Jesus endure as he prayed those prayers? 
It's hard work. In 1 Corinthians 15.32, Paul talks about his time in Ephesus. And he says to the Corinthians, "If, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, what was I doing fighting with lions in Ephesus? Now some of that was the sort of physical sort of abuse he took, etc. But I'm sure some of it was, was in prayer. I've never ever fought a lion. <laughs> Fighting with lions. This was not an easy task. James 5.17 talks of Elijah, a righteous man, who prayed earnestly. Not a quick prayer, but a prayer seven times. God, send the rain, send the rain. Go on, servant. Is it raining? It's not raining. Send the rain, send the rain. Earnestly, passionately fighting. Is this going to happen? The uncertainty. Romans 8, 26. You often hear this (coughs) quoted at prayer meetings. And it's a great verse. Romans 8, 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do do not know what we ought to pray for, but the the Spirit himself intercedes for us. That's the bit that you hear. The Spirit himself comes and intercedes with us. But actually, it goes on with... He intercedes for us through wordless groans. <coughs> I don't know how many of you have experienced that time when you just don't know what to pray. You've prayed in tongues and you still don't know what to pray. And then suddenly the Spirit starts interceding through you. Wordless groans. Perhaps being laid out on the floor. Mm. It's not a pleasant experience exactly. The verse sounds lovely. The Spirit will intercede when you don't know what to pray. Oh, great. And then suddenly you're doubled up. Wordless groans pouring out of your heart and you don't understand why. You don't really understand what you're praying. But it's there and you know it's God and you know the Spirit is interceding. And you know that He is winning. Yeah. But it's not a pleasant experience, mostly. Maybe even laid out on the floor. Prayer is hard work. Where's the joy in it? Prayer is hard work because it often comes from a place of hardship. Let's face it, we all pray more when we're in trouble. Yeah, we sing that song, um, and it's got that line, break my heart for what breaks yours. I can't say, sometimes I look around the room and I just despair. <laughs> break my heart for what breaks yours. <laughs> like, have you never had a broken heart? <laughs> it leaves a scar. It's painful. <clears throat> Some of you are around. In 1970, I was a young lad. But I was four years older than I had been in 1966. 
1966, I was surprised that so many teams around the world turned up to England to play football, because I thought, England, we are the football capital of the world, we are, must be, there must be other teams, but we are it. And I just assumed we would win the World Cup, and I assumed that I would spend the rest of my life winning World Cups. <laughs> I didn't realise it might never happen in my life again. <laughs> That was 1966. By 1970, I understood that actually there were teams that were better than us. But we were playing Germany again. And it was 20 minutes to go. And I can, I can feel the sense of smugness and self-satisfaction because we were really beating them this time. It was not going to be a lucky win it was going to be, we're 2-0 up, this is it. The smugness, I can feel it, you can talk about it. <clears throat> I can remember 10 or 15 minutes later, as a, my absolute all-time sporting hero at the time, waving his arms about in the goal, Peter Benetti, as the third German goal went in. I can still feel the shock, the horror, and the pain of really realising we were going to lose. My heart was broken. I could feel the pain. <laughs> I can still feel the pain. <coughs> but maybe 15, a bit more years ago, walking down the street in Bermondsey, to the church office and there's a guy with four cans of beer in his hand <coughs> and he is swearing vigorously at his wife who's a few steps behind him as she drags their son up the street and he's telling her to hurry up and the kid is screaming their head off but mum I only wanted a drink and the mum turning to him and saying but we had to get daddy's first. <coughs> I can remember the pain of that. As I, what do I do? What do I do? If I intervene here, it's going to be a fight. I can't run down, the, it's too far to run down and buy one and bring it back. There's nothing that I can really do here. And I can feel the pain as I see that. Break my heart for what breaks yours. As we pray, God does break our hearts and it's painful. Go through the Psalms, book of Jeremiah. There's a great passage in Jeremiah 20. <coughs> in uh, my Bible, it's got just through the heading, Jeremiah's complaint. <laughs> and then he prays pouring out his heart. Mm -hmm. Prayer is hard work, mm -hmm. but it often comes from a place of hardship. It is also a battleground. Now this is a completely made up story, <coughs> but you can imagine on Sunday, in the family notices, the leader gets up, 
have a prayer meeting tonight. By the end of the announcement, you are sure this prayer meeting is going to change the world. Mm -hmm. It's going to bring down heaven on earth. You are inspired and lifted up by the great announcement for the prayer meeting at eight o'clock tonight. At half past seven, as the leader drags themselves off the settee, they're only thinking, why tonight? Why didn't we do it next week? Who called this prayer meeting? I feel so tired. I feel so drained. Who's going to come? How are we going to pray? Brothers, I've just clean, clean forgotten it. I remember it Monday morning. Oh, there's a prayer meeting last night. For many others, there's an overwhelming tiredness. The sense of, oh, it's a prayer meeting. It's a battleground. That's not natural. That's not normal. It's because Satan doesn't like us praying. He doesn't like us asking God. Sometimes I think he almost prefers us to enjoy the presence of God, to sense his love and empowering, rather than praying and asking. We have a joy that will remain. But then Jesus says this, This is a book. I tend to use it because I'm not a very good reader. And uh, find it slightly easier. He says this Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Ask. <coughs> I genuine, genuinely believe that the church across the UK has got to relearn asking God for things. We've had a great time as he's restored the church, as he's empowered us with the Spirit, but he wants us to grow in our asking. He has some great things which he wants to give us. He wants to see our nation turned around in my, I've been a Christian about 45 years. In the time I've been a Christian, I've seen our nation move so dramatically away from its moral base of the Bible. It's been huge. And sometimes as a church, because things are going well, we're experiencing God, we're enjoying his presence, we think everything's great. But our nation has moved so far away. People often ask as a church leader, is your church growing? And I always use the guideline of, is my church growing faster than the population of my town. Because we may be growing two or three percent, but if our town is growing 10 percent, we're shrinking seven percent. We're getting smaller. We've got to grow faster than the world around us.
And to do that, we need the presence of God, we need the power of God, but we need to be asking. We need to be asking specifically. We need to preserve, keep persevering in prayer. And we need faith. And why can we do this? Jesus says this, Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. A few verses earlier he said, your joy will remain the joy of salvation. He says, this joy is complete, it's full, it's overflowing. There's an abundance of joy in this. <coughs> Ask, receive, and you will get joy. Where is our joy in prayer? It's not in the process of it, because that is hard work. It can be painful. Sometimes it can be really easy. But the joy comes in the answer. You get the joy at the end. You get the joy after the baby is born. Why pray? Why persevere? Because your joy comes in the answer. And to have the answer, you've got to know exactly what you asked for. I mean, I've been in prayer meetings, it's true, but actually you haven't asked for anything. You come to the end of you think, actually, what have we asked for today? Nothing. We've ended up worshipping the whole time, which is great and lovely, but I thought we were meant to be here to pray. And it's a bit like, um, <coughs> I'm sort of at the age now where it used to really annoy me, where people will say to me, what would you like for your birthday? And it's like, I don't know, I don't really need anything. And they look at you really, huh? in fact one of our grandchildren this Christmas, when we found our daughter and said, what does he want for, for Christmas? He just, well, I think he just wants a present. <laughs> oh, great, a <laughs> present. <laughs> and sometimes I think God is in heaven, the king. Yeah. Just ask me. <laughs> just tell me what you want. He's all-knowing, he's gracious, and he gives us things out of the abundance of his heart. But he says time and time again, ask me, ask me, ask me, and you will receive. <coughs> and I think we've got to stir ourselves a bit more. Hey, our God is greater, stronger, bigger than anyone else. Maybe we should be asking according to his resources. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe we should be looking at the world and say, come on God, what can you do? Yeah. Let's enlarge what we're asking of our God. Because our God says, the joy comes at the end. The painful part of maybe getting up early, setting, setting time aside during the day, um, directing your mind so you're praying as you're walking around the streets or washing up, getting out to prayer meetings. That's the hard part. That's not where the joy of prayer is. That's the bit where you've just got to persevere through, keep going, keep going, keep going, deciding what, you, what you're going to pray for, all those things. That's the hard part. The joy comes at the end when you look and you suddenly say, He's answered. 
We've asked God and he's answered. And that's when the joy comes, the abundance of joy. And you see the difference between the two joys that Jesus mentions here. One is one that remains and is solid and goes through life and circumstances. The other one comes as we're able to look back and say, God, you answered this, you answered this, you answered this. That's where the joy of prayer is. And I think the more we understand that, the more we're able to pray because we're thinking, this is not the fun part. <laughs> Having the baby is not the fun part. The fun part comes years later when they buy you houses and cars. No. <laughs> the fun part is as you walk with your children through life. But that comes at the end. The joy of prayer is not in the process, but in the receiving of an answer. And then there's another joy that overflows. <coughs> A few weeks ago, um, my father died. He was coming up to his 101st birthday, so it was not unsurprising. <coughs> and entire time I've been a Christian, you know, he'd come to a couple of services and he'd, when he heard that we took up offerings, he was always interested to find out how much money we'd raised. Um, he came to my baptism many, many years ago, but really nothing else. But at the end of his, his life, my sisters were caring for him magnificently um, in their home. They're not church, they're agnostic at best. And for 45 years or so, on and off, and with Leslie, we prayed. And it wasn't fun. It was quite often discouraging. It was quite often disjointed. And we could never see what might happen. But we carried on. The fun part, the joyful bit, was two weeks before he died when my agnostic sisters phoned me up and said, Dad's not at peace. Could you come and give him your sort of God talk? So I was able to drive down to Hastings. And uh, because they'd invited me, I felt very free to say whatever. And for the first time ever, I was able to pray with my dad. That was where the joy came. Not the previous 40 years. Let's pray until we get the joy. Amen. Father, I ask you to open doors of faith. One of the battles I had with God once was I had my bike nicked, which wasn't unusual in London, but I'd, I'd done a year's voluntary service, voluntary, I'd done two years part-time work, three years at college, and I'd just started a permanent job for the first time in six years. And we'd just begun to sort of get some money as a school caretaker. And my bike was nicked. And uh, <coughs> I went to get a second-hand bike. I was quite happy with that. And uh, I just felt so guilty as I was looking. And I didn't understand why. And then God said to me, I want you to have a new bike. And I said to him, look, we've just got some money. I don't need a new bike. I'm happy with a second-hand one. 
And uh, during the first week of arguing with him, sort of got to Friday and I said, look, apart from anything, I don't, really don't want to talk to Leslie about spending what money we've got on a new bike when I don't really want it either. And uh, over the weekend, we continued talking. And then on the Wednesday, God sort of said, look, I've had enough of this. And uh, you stop complaining, you go and get a new bike. So I said to him, okay, I passed the bike shop today. I'm going down to look. And so I went into the bike shop and uh, I saw one I liked. And I said, okay, God, if you really want me to have this bike, then... I'm coming here tomorrow and I'm going to buy it, but it's not with my money, it's going to be with yours. And uh, I thought, at least I've won that argument, I can't have a new bike now. And uh, <coughs> so I used to have to walk down to put the school money in the bank. So I put the money in the bank, came back, and uh, it was almost disappointing. The church secretary said to me, oh Dave, um, you've got a tax rebate, here's the money. <laughs> And it was the money for my bike. But I learned that day, sometimes God wants better things for me than I do. And I'd like us now just to have a, a moment's silence, just to think of, of one thing you'd really like to pray for. And then we're all going to lift our voices together and pray. And if necessary, pray bigger than you think you need. Because our God is greater and stronger and bigger than any other. So just a minute silence and a think, and then we'll all lift our voices together. Father, we do declare the truth that our God is able to do far more than we can ask or imagine. That is our God. You are our Father. And you have promised that if we ask, we will receive and we will know abundant and full joy. Do it, Lord, among us, I pray. Amen.